This morning's、uh, scripture reading comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 11 through 18, which can be found on page 477 of some of the Pew Bibles. Ecclesiastes 9:11-18. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift, or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built a huge Siege, built huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, Wisdom is better than strength. But the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. May God bless his word. Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. How many of you guys have read this book, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? So, like a fifth of you guys, maybe. So, to catch the rest of you guys up, because you know it's a great book, <clears throat> catch the rest of you guys up. There's a subplot in the book about an alien race of ultra-intelligent mice. You guys have to go with me here. Alien race of ultra-intelligent mice, and these ultra-intelligent mice are confronted with the same question. What is the meaning of life? Now they don't just sit around and talk about it like we would. They decide to do something about it. And so these mice, what they do is they build the most powerful computer that's ever existed in the history of the universe. The most powerful computer, and they call this computer Deep Thought. And they task this computer with answering the question to life, the universe, and everything. Now it takes Deep Thought. Seven and a half million years to answer this question. I mean, it's, it's a complicated problem, right? So you can imagine, you know, generations and generations of people have passed, and they're still waiting for this computer to compute the answer. When the day finally comes for the answer to be revealed, people are excited. You know, the book describes huge crowds gathering, 
as two representatives from the people approach deep thought to get the answer. Finally, people are going to know what it's all about. Unfortunately, do you know what the answer that deep thought gave was? Any of you guys remember? What was it? So I heard someone say it. That's right. Forty two. How disappointing. This ridiculous answer, 42. You know, I wonder if some some of the people who heard this answer might have gone to a state of depression wondering, is there really any meaning in life at all? If the meaning of life is 42. You know, through humor and satire, Douglas Adams is pointing to a haunting proposition that life is absurd and there is no true meaning to be found in it. Now, through the first half of Ecclesiastes, we've seen as the teachers explore different places, different, uh, different possibilities for where he might find meaning. He's looked at riches. He's looked at pleasure. He's looked at work. And yet, in examining all these things, he's found them wanting. And so that brings us to our passage today, where the teacher looks at wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Well, if you ask Google, Google would say, Wisdom is the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Wisdom's more than just experience and knowledge. I mean, certainly experience and knowledge play in helping one develop wisdom. But if one's wise, one is able to look at a situation, understand it, and then through their discernment, based on perhaps their, their experience and knowledge, choose the best course of action possible. So the question that comes before us today is, can we find wisdom or can we find meaning in wisdom? Now, our culture places a huge value on wisdom. I mean, for example, most of you guys have either graduated from high school or in the process of doing so. Many of you either have a college degree, are in the process of getting a college degree or have aspirations of going to college. Why this emphasis on education? It's because in education, we see a path towards wisdom. And in wisdom, we see a path towards success. Or what about you guys at work? Why is it that it seems like the people who are most experienced are the ones who are the most valued? Well, it's because generally speaking, it's not always true, but generally speaking, experience leads to wisdom. Wisdom enables us to make better decisions. And better decisions lead to better results. Wisdom has a lot of value. But does wisdom bring meaning in life? Well, when we look at the passage today, the teacher's answer, unfortunately, is no. Wisdom, says the teacher, though it has some value, is ultimately meaningless. Let's look at verses 11 and 12 first. It says, I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. We see here in the first two verses of our passage today that regardless of strength or wisdom, all will meet their end. Unexpectedly, you know, it doesn't matter if you're strong, if you're swift, if you're wise, if you're brilliant, if you're learned, 
that doesn't guarantee success because unexpected circumstances can take all of that away. So, for example, how many of you guys know who Muhammad Ali was? Not everyone, surprisingly. All right. Well, that shows maybe my, well, I'm not that old. Muhammad Ali was a boxer in the 60s and 70s, and he was a dominant boxer. I mean, he was the heavyweight championship of, champion of the world. He was so great. You guys know what his nickname was? His nickname was The Greatest. He was famous for saying things like, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. The hands can't hit what the eyes can't see. Talking about how fast he was, how quick he was, and how no one could even touch him. And yet, my lasting memory of Muhammad Ali was not him as the dominant boxer. Do you know what my lasting image of Muhammad Ali was? It was him at the 1996 Atlanta Summer Olympics when he was the one who was asked to light the Olympic torch. You see, three years after he retired, Muhammad Ali was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And a decade later, at the Summer Olympics, as he held the flame, you could see his arms visibly shaking. The once dominant man had become a shell of his former self. He who was once strong was now weak. See, regardless of strength or wisdom, we all meet our end unexpectedly. Or consider the hurricanes that passed through the Western Hemisphere during this past year. Hurricanes Harvey, Irma, Jose, Maria, Nate. I mean, five major hurricanes all swept through the Caribbean, the Gulf Coast, and Central America, wreaking havoc everywhere. Hundreds of lives lost. Hundreds of billions of dollars of damage. Countless people with their homes taken away from them. You see, unexpected natural disasters can undermine wisdom. Now, you might be saying, well, isn't one of the purposes of wisdom to anticipate and prepare for unexpected circumstances? I mean, to prepare for even death? I mean, if one was truly wise, then they'd, you know, expect that something unexpected might happen, and they'd do something so that when that happened, um, the, the, the effects of those things would be mitigated, right? Well, that's true to a certain extent. But, you know, if we look at the text, what's interesting is in verse 11, the author uses a Hebrew word of emphasis, gam. And this word of emphasis is, is almost never translated into English because it disrupts the flow of the words. And this Hebrew word of emphasis is repeated over and over in verse 11. But it's only ta- repeated in the clauses about the wise, about the brilliant and about the learned, not the clauses about the strong and the swift. It's as if the author is saying unexpected circumstances happen even to the wise, even to the brilliant, even to the learned. You know, when it comes to natural disasters, economic crises, political unrest, disagreements in Congress, even the wisest of us can't predict all of these things. Regardless of strength or wisdom, we all meet our end unexpectedly. And so wisdom though it has some value, is ultimately meaningless. Now, you might say, well, you know, that's true about death and that's true about what's unexpected. But apart from that, doesn't wisdom still have some value while we're still alive? Doesn't wisdom still have some value, you know, before we face these unexpected circumstances? And for the answer to that, 
We'll look at verses 13 to 16. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. We see here in the story a wise man who was able to save his tiny little city from the strength of this mighty army, from the strength of this mighty king. And yet in the end, people forgot him. And all the wisdom that he had generated was totally lost in the sands of time. Wisdom, though better than might, is despised and ignored. Now, in 2009, the Harvard Business Review had an article by Susan Cram. And the first line of this article said, Why does management behavior often diverge from broadly accepted theory or best practice? Now, I think some of you guys can relate to this at your workplaces, right? Whether it's about management behavior or whether it's about something else at work, perhaps even in school. You know, there have been people who've worked before us, who've come before us and established best practices that we should follow because there's a reason for them. And yet people still ignore them. Why? Well, perhaps some people ignore them because, you know, they look at the cost of these best practices, the cost of this wisdom, both in time and money, and say, we don't have that time and money. We just got to plow forward. And so they make a short term decision with long term detrimental consequences. Or perhaps one of the reasons that they ignore the best practices is because they themselves don't even possess the wisdom to know how to apply those best practices into their present circumstances, into their context. Probably the the biggest reason, though, is because we in our humanity are proud people and desire to be self-sufficient. And when we have an idea, we think that our idea might be better than anything that anyone else has ever come uh, come up with before us. In our pride, we think that our way is the best way, and we ignore the wisdom of those who have come before us. And so wisdom, though it's better than might, is despised and ignored. On a more personal note, um, a few years ago, my family decided to buy a programmable thermostat because we wanted to save energy. You know, it's a good thing to save energy. It saves money and it's good for the environment. So when the thermostat finally came, it came on a day when I hadn't really slept well the night before and I was exhausted. And yet I was excited because, you know, this thing was here. My wife took a look at me and in her wisdom, she said to me, Chris, you're tired. And I know when you're tired, you do stupid things. (laughs) But, you know, I saw this new thermostat and I was excited. I mean, it's a shiny new toy, right? And how hard could it be to drill a couple of holes, disconnect some wires and reconnect them? It's pretty simple, right? It'll take like 10 minutes. You can probably guess what happened next. I was tired. I didn't follow the directions carefully. I didn't follow common sense. And in my pride... I forgot to shut off the circuit breaker. And so when I reconnected some wires, some things touched and I blew something, uh, shorted something out in the HVAC unit. 
And so the cost, you know, I, I, I'm not that handy. I try to pretend I'm handy, but I'm not super handy. So the cost of hiring a technician to come and try to figure out what actually blew, it was just a fuse in the HVAC unit, ended up costing way more than that thermostat originally cost. You see, wisdom, though it's better than might, is despised and ignored. And so wisdom, though it has some value, is ultimately meaningless. But you might say, I mean, wisdom's not always despised and ignored. There are people who follow wisdom. And when people follow wisdom, doesn't that guarantee success? Sadly, the answer is no. Let's look at the teacher's answer in verses 17 and 18. The quiet words of the wise man are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. Wisdom might be better than folly and weapons of war, but wisdom is thwarted by sin. No one knew this better than King Solomon, who many believe wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. At the beginning of Solomon's reign, God granted Solomon an immense amount of wisdom to rule. I mean, his wisdom spread throughout the earth, When I was a kid, there was a storyteller who came by and he would tell a story of how Solomon's wisdom was so renowned, it even spread as far as Japan. People would come from all over the known world to gather in Solomon's court, to hear from him, to listen to him, to be blessed by the words of wisdom that he had to say. And yet, what happened later in Solomon's life? He turned away from God. He turned and worshipped the gods of his foreign wives. And because of his unfaithfulness to the Lord, God took away most of his kingdom from his descendants. Wisdom, though it's better than folly, is thwarted by sin. Now, you look at the world around us and you say, there are some people who do some pretty bad things, and they seem to be doing quite well. And yet, there are also people like Harvey Weinstein, the first of a plethora of people who have been accused of sexual misconduct and sexual assault. Harvey Weinstein built up a huge production company. He had a great reputation in Hollywood. He had significant influence all around the industry. His production company was successful and produced hits like The King's Speech and Django Unchained, which I'm sure you guys have heard of. And yet last year, because of his appetite for sex and indiscriminate sex and his desire to to lord his power over others who are weaker than him or under him, him, what happened? He lost his reputation. He lost his company. He lost it all. Wisdom, though better than folly, is thwarted by sin. And you know, it doesn't even have to be our own sin. In 2001, there was this company called Enron Corporation. Some of you guys might remember them. They were a darling of Wall Street, right? Their profits kept growing. They were trading energy. They were doing great. But behind the scenes, the greed of a few executives caused them to cook the books because they wanted to make their company look way better than it actually was. And so they, they engaged in some shady accounting practices to make it look like their profits were better than they were. Even worse, they encouraged their employees to invest their retirement savings in the company, arguing that our company is so successful and so stable. What better place to put your retirement savings than in your own company? Well, eventually, these accounting practices were found out. And the stock price of Enron dropped 99% in less than six months. The wisdom of the people who saved for retirement 
was completely wiped out because of the greed of these executives. Wisdom, though better than folly, is thwarted by sin. And it doesn't even have to be our own sin. It can be the sin of those around us. So we see here three reasons why wisdom, though it has some value, is ultimately meaningless. Does this mean that we should give up our pursuits of wisdom? I mean, it's meaningless, right? So there's no point. I mean, on the one hand, the answer is no. Because through these verses, the teacher is saying wisdom has some value. And yet, wisdom, regardless of strength or wisdom, we all meet our end unexpectedly. Wisdom, though it has, though it's better than might, is despised and ignored. And wisdom, though better than folly, is thwarted by sin. So what do we do with this? Do we just live life happily and, you know, engage in a philosophy of, of absurdity like Douglas Adams proposed? Because there is no meaning? Well, fortunately, Ecclesiastes doesn't end with chapter 9, and neither does the Bible. See, the author of Ecclesiastes is saying, if our wisdom is based on human experience, if our wisdom is based on human knowledge, then there is no uh, meaning to be derived from it. But in some ways, indirectly, the author of Ecclesiastes is pointing towards a different kind of wisdom. A wisdom that's not based on our own weakness. A wisdom that's not based on our own finiteness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 to 24 says, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Human wisdom, though it has some value, is ultimately meaningless, but Christ crucified is the power and wisdom of God. The cross, an instrument of death, a symbol of suffering, a symbol of shame, is foolishness from the perspective of human wisdom. And yet in the cross, we see divine wisdom. We see the power of God to redeem and rescue sinners and the world. You know, it's interesting that in the wisdom of God, in Christ, we see directly addressed these three insufficiencies of human wisdom in our passage today. In the wisdom of Christ, we can find contentedness in any and every circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, whether those circumstances are expected or not expected. We can find contentedness even beyond death. And the wisdom of God in Christ, even though we might see it despised and rejected by some today, we see in Philippians 2 that there will be a day when every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And lastly, in the wisdom of God, we find the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. Where Satan, as he struck the heel of Christ and killed him on the cross, God turned around in his wisdom. The death on the cross, which Satan intended for evil, 
Christ used to crush Satan, overcoming sin, and delivering us from the power of death. Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So where do we go from here? Well, as we seek to grow in wisdom through learning, whether you're in school, like me, or whether you're working, I guess also like me, how are we also seeking to know Christ more and his benefits? How are we learning to gain the wisdom of God, the contentedness that can enable us through suffering, through pain, to say, it is well with my soul? I mean, perhaps it's spending more time in in his word on a daily basis, reading, reflecting, listening to it. Perhaps it's spending more time in prayer, you know, laying our burdens before him, laying our desires before him and asking him to transform them according to his power and wisdom. Or perhaps it's being more transparent in our community so that we can encourage one another and be encouraged so that we can pray for one another and be prayed for. As we seek to grow in wisdom through learning, let's not neglect seeking to grow in the divine wisdom of God. Or for those of us who are parents, you know, we want what's best for our children, right? We want, our, we want to make sure that our children have a strong foundation so that when they go out into the world, they'll be okay. And so we give our kids a diverse set of experiences so that, you know, they can grow in wisdom from all these experiences. But through academics, through music lessons, through sports, through extra active, extracurricular activities, even through moral teaching, do we in the end want our children to be people who know and love and fear the Lord? How are we serving as spiritual mentors to teach them, to model for them what it means to be a sinner saved by grace? Are we showing them what it means to be broken in the face of who God is and to be made whole again because of the cross of Christ? And lastly, as we seek to go through, grow in wisdom through our experiences, how are we looking at those experiences through the lens of being a broken sinner saved by grace? Think of a difficult situation that you've recently uh, come through. Or think of a difficult person that you've recently run into. Could be someone who cuts you off on the road. Could be your children. Could be your parents. How does your reaction to that situation expose how much you need the wisdom of Christ? And how, through divine wisdom and through the power of God, might you respond to that situation with love, with truth, with redemption, and with reconciliation. Because human wisdom, though it has some value, is ultimately meaningless. But Christ crucified is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we acknowledge that you are the one who has created all things and who sustains all things, who has created us and recreated us in Christ, your divine wisdom. 
And so, Father, we come before you and throw ourselves on your mercy and pray that you would reveal more and more each and every day who you are and what you have done for us, that we might fall before you dependent and proclaim you as Lord over us and the wisdom that we desire and seek. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.